Hey friends, welcome back to the podcast with me, Jonathan Puddle. This is episode 55. I am very thankful and a little overwhelmed at all of the feedback from the podcast last week with Gary Thomas. We talked all about how to move away from toxic relationships. I have had the most engagement on social media for any content ever from uh, sharing, resharing his quotes on that subject. It seems that's really striking a chord with many of you, and I'm hearing from quite a few of you that you are interested in doing a book study on that book. So the book uh, will be released, I think, this week, next week, and I'm planning to to send out more details about that. So if you'd like to join the book study and, and dig deeper on when to walk away, finding freedom from toxic people, then make sure to jump on my Patreon, which you'll hear more details about later, because that's where the book study will take place. Now, today's episode is with my good friend, Jay Thomas. No relation to Gary Thomas. Jay and his wife, Naomi, have been involved in the International House of Prayer in Kansas City for many, many years. Jay is a good friend of mine, and he's a worship leader, just became a grandfather, so you'll hear us talk about that a little bit. But they've got a ministry where they do a lot of work with folks in prison, and so we, we discussed that. Now, if you're reading news or social media in the last 24 hours, you'll probably have heard about Amber Geiger's sentencing. She was the off-duty police officer who uh, was still in uniform, returned home to her apartment, thought she was in her own apartment, uh, and tried to get in. She was actually at a young man named Botham Jean's apartment. When he came to the door, she thought he was an intruder. You know, when he came to the door to let her in to his apartment, because she was erroneously at his apartment, she uh, pulled out a gun and, and shot him and killed him. So that, that took place some time ago. The sentencing was yesterday. And so there's a lot of discussion around that for a number of reasons, one of which is a is a really remarkable display of grace and forgiveness from Botham Jean's younger brother, who, uh, in his impact statement, he essentially wished that uh, Amber would discover the love of Christ, would in fact perhaps not even end up being incarcerated, but that would ultimately find new life in Christ. Now, he was very clear that he was speaking only for himself and not on behalf of his family, but he offered her forgiveness. And then uh, this very emotional video that I'll, I'll link to where you can see him requesting permission from the judge to offer her a hug. And you can just see the the room react and, and people not sure really how to respond. And ultimately, they they embrace one another. And it's very, very moving. It's a powerful display, obviously, of of the love of Christ inside someone, moving him towards reconciliation with the very person who murdered his brother in cold blood, whether it was an accident or not. So there's a tremendous beauty to that. Now, at the same time, there are many people who feel that her sentence was insufficient. She was given 10 years, and she was could have been given much, much longer. And many people feel that if Many people feel that if the races and genders were reversed and a young black man had shot and killed a a blonde white woman, then he would be prosecuted significantly more aggressively and perhaps a much longer prison sentence. And so there's a, obviously there remains incredible pain. There's also the fact that the, at a wider level, the narrative of the black person, the black victim of injustice offering forgiveness to the white person is not a unique or rare happenstance. 
it is obviously, in every unique case, beautiful and costly and powerful. But as a broader narrative, this is not the first time that a black person has offered forgiveness. And it really seems rare that, in general, white culture is learning from this forgiveness and is truly responding to the grace that is consistently being offered, whether it's an entire church congregation coming forward and and offering forgiveness to the terrorist who came amongst them and and slaughtered them, or whether it's, you know, individual cases like this. So there's, there's a lot to wrestle with and unpack here. Jay and I, we didn't get into that because it only happened last night. But we talk about what he's discovering and his wife are learning as as they minister in prisons and as they bring the love of God into prisons and as they discover and meet Christ present in prisons. So especially if you're a white person, uh, I would encourage, like myself, I would encourage you to find black voices in your community who you can listen to, who you can learn from. It's one thing for us to share these stories and, and like these videos and say, isn't this wonderful? Isn't this wonderful? And of course, again, at an individual level, the love of Christ poured out from one person to another is always beautiful and wonderful. But forgiveness is not opposed to justice. And where there are injustices, they must still be addressed. And we have a very, very long way to go. This is also not just an American issue. Those of us in Canada and the rest of the world see this kind of racial injustice, this is, exists in our communities and in every segment and every gender and every age group. So that's a very long introduction, but here, here's my friend Jay. So uh, congratulations. Well, thanks. Uh, yeah, it's, it's very bizarre. <laughs> I, I cannot, I don't know any other way to describe it. It's just really bizarre. That's it's fantastic. amazing, but it's amazing. <laughs> so my my father I think was 23 or 24 when I was born and I got married at 19 and I was like dad I'm going to make you a grandfather before you're 50 and he was like nope nope don't do it don't do it and I'm pretty sure he was 48 or 49 when my son was born yeah it's pretty it's just really I mean I'm 42 <laughs> <laughs> I'm 42 and you know, I keep I keep referencing how bizarre it is, and and my wife was like, "Why do you keep saying that? It's not, it's not bizarre." I said, "Yeah, because you've had 21 years to prepare your heart for this, but 10 years ago I was a single gay man, <laughs> and now I'm now I'm 40 at 32 I was a single gay man. At 42 I'm married with three children, a, a, a son-in-law, and a grandchild. That's a lot of change in 10 years. <laughs> Yes, it is. <laughs> like I, I'm, I'm still processing. I'm not, I'm not there yet. Yeah, yeah. So, so she's like, well, I guess that's fair. I'm like, oh, it's more than fair. <laughs> <laughs> R- remind me, remind me, uh, girl or boy? It's a boy. His name is William Eugene Wilder Hester. Amazing. Yeah, it is wild. It's crazy. <laughs> and on top of that, he's white. So I, which is, I love it. Nothing wrong with that. My point is I'm black. My wife is black and our, our grandson is very white. (laughs) It's just bizarre. It's just bizarre. (laughs) Strange life we're living here. For sure. 
for sure. Wow, that's beautiful. Yeah, it's awesome. I feel like I feel like we should have had coffee first. Yeah, it's yeah, it's it's kind of does feel that way, doesn't it? <laughs> but the beauty of our amazing friendship is that we we get the pleasure of jumping into deep waters without uh, without having actually touched the water yet. So that's right. I mean, I was thinking as I was reading, uh, I was sitting here reading a book of poetry because I'm very cultured. Of course you are. Uh, reading a book of poetry by a black Caribbean Canadian woman named Dion Brand. And uh, I was thinking, some for some reason I was thinking, huh, this will actually be the third time that we have recorded a podcast. Really? Because we did two back for Revival Mag, one on oh, homosexuality wow. and one on community. Wow, I've forgotten the second one. So I have had a number of two-time guests on the podcast – Frank Viola has been on the show twice, and Priscilla Shirer has been on the show twice. No one's been on the show three times, and technically this is your first time on this show, but you and yes, I have done That's this true. three times. That's amazing. So that puts Quite you the history we in, have. in special beautiful. and unique company. So tell me all about Song of Hope. What is this? You've left IHOP, or you're it's at least have left the staff. I left IHOP staff back in May. I was also working part-time for a church at that time, uh, which I also left shortly after. And the question that everybody has been asking is, well, what are you doing now? And I I should probably preface it by saying uh, I left both of those positions with the intention of actually uh, moving. I had accepted a pastoral position um, at a local congregation in Florida. Uh, but then life happened and that didn't, uh, didn't happen. So when we left and we were just kind of like, Lord, what do you want us to do? So Song of Hope is a nonprofit organization that we have actually been the directors of, uh, had the privilege of starting it about seven years ago, but actually never did anything with the nonprofit Mm. at all. Um, we just kind of sat on the back burner, um, but the Lord kind of gave it to us a number of years ago because hope is hope is uh, one of my favorite words, one of my wife's favorite words, and so um, we started this. <laughs> so, uh, so Jay and I just lost the connection, and I'm going to make him try and re-say everything that he just said. So, if it sounds really staged and unnatural, that's because he's a terrible actor, but a exactly. great worship leader. So, you know, it's all it's all genuine when you know when he's up there. That's right. There you go. <laughs> so Song of well, Hope. Song of Hope. Well, <laughs> so Song of Hope. I said we started it about seven years ago and has taken on many, uh, many different visions and, and things throughout the years. But as we left, as, I, as we left staff at IHOP and also left staff at a local church we were working at, we had the intention of actually moving to another state to to pursue ministry at a local congregation there, but the Lord shut it down in ways that only he can. So we started asking the question, what then is Song of Hope? What is the vision? Uh, what is in our hearts? What is it that makes the world kind of tick uh, for us? What would we do if money weren't an issue? What is the passion desires of our hearts? And what we discovered actually was quite shocking after, after about five hours of just sitting and whiteboarding, writing all that's in our hearts, there was kind of one word that kept popping up and making an appearance. And that word was freedom. Mm. And uh, as as you referenced the first podcast that you and I talked about, and, and I've shared a bit of my story, and those who have heard my story know that 
my story is is that I have been brought into a new understanding of what freedom actually is. And for me, it was a life of freedom from uh, extreme sexual promiscuity, a life of homosexuality. Um, my wife's story is very similar in the sense that, you know, she, having been a single mom, uh, an alcoholic single mom, and how the Lord uh, started her on the journey and the path and understanding of what freedom is and, and how together we are still finding what freedom actually is and discovering it. And so uh, after that, we started, we asked the question, well, what, how do we get there? What, how do you obtain freedom? How does freedom acquired? And kind of three main pillars popped up. It's freedom in the word, word of understanding of it, freedom through discipleship and or in community with people doing life together, freedom, uh, freedom to worship. And so, um, because if we have a right understanding and we're doing it together with people, then we're actually free to worship rightly. And so, so once we had kind of come to those three pillars, you know, we realized that this freedom that we're talking about is for everyone. It's for, it's for everybody, not just those who are unbelievers, but for those who are believers in church who are in, who are in bondage, because that's our story. We weren't floating around, you know, outside of the church in bondage. We were in church. We were gracing the doors every time the doors opened. We were part of different ministries, yet still in bondage. And so it's freedom for those in the church, but then it also is freedom for those who are incarcerated is freedom for those who are in prisons and that seems a bit left field and like how did how did you arrive at that where did the prison thing come from um but we've been doing prison ministry off and on for about two years my wife and i uh and we've and it struck you know two things struck me it was paul and silas who were in prison Hmm. uh for preaching the gospel and from that place they begin to sing and to worship and as we know the story tells us that the walls literally uh shook the doors flew open and and many were set free. And so the question for me is, what was that sound and how did they how did they acquire it? Well, we don't know, but we're we're giving our lives to go and find out um, and to recreate that sound in prisons. But then also Matthew twenty five, which is a a very popular parable of the talents. But at the end of that parable, Jesus himself says this. He says, because I was naked and you clothed me. I was hungry and you fed me. I was sick uh, and you visited me. I was uh, I was hungry. You fed me and you I was in prison. Uh, no, I was a stranger. You took me in and I was a prison and you came to see me, mm-hmm. which tell which tells me I read that with with a new lens. And I came to, to the understanding and realization that Jesus is to be found. Dude, everybody's looking for Jesus. Where is Jesus? Lord, would you come? Holy Spirit, come. Jesus, would you come? But where is he to be found? He's to be found among the naked, the poor, the stranger, the sick, and the incarcerated. And so our question, our our vision, our endeavor has become new. It has become, we want to go where Jesus is. (laughs) We want to be found where Jesus is, bringing those three pillars of of freedom in the word, freedom through discipleship and freedom to worship. So we're not going into prisons and saying, you know, you wretched, poor, dirty souls, you John three sixteen, repent. We're not doing that. We're, we're going in because there are actual believers in prison. There are ones who people who made mistakes just like us. Uh, the only difference is they got caught. We didn't. And they landed in prison and we're going and we're giving our lives to sitting with them, teaching them how to study the Bible how to pray, discipleship. Actually, how do you walk this out? You're probably likely going to not finish your sentence and get out early. Well, then what? How do you walk this out? How do you become good fathers? How do you become good mothers? And then actually, what is the song of freedom 
that uh, that the Lord has graced the prisons with. I want to go in and teach inmates how to sing the, the song of freedom, the prophetic song of freedom. Um, I want to capture those songs. I want to release those songs to the world uh, in what I hope will be known as songs of the free. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so we want to do full-blown worship nights uh, in prisons all over the world. Um, you know, not just one night go in and blow up and, and leave, but actually develop relationships with inmates. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just, it's a, it's an exciting thing. We essentially want to go in and plant something like houses of prayer in prisons. And so that's our vision. It's our mission. It's our purpose. And it's what we're giving all of our time and attention to and raising, uh, trying to raise money and partnership so that we can do this in a robust way. Wow. That's cool. How, how have your sort of early attempts and, and things, what are you guys seeing? You know, we, uh, again, we've been doing it for two years, but in a full-time way, we just officially launched Song of Hope on August 8th. And so we're, we're fresh and brand new and uh, we're doing it right now with, with very, very little. I'm thankful for the few partners that we have right now, but, um, but we are seeing absolute transformation. We have so many testimonies, uh, from from a local a local prison that we visit every two weeks um, of just how the Lord is absolutely capturing these the hearts of these men in this local prison and we have so many doors that are open to us to go to different prisons even between now and the end of the year we're visiting four uh, maximum security prisons in three different states uh, going in and doing what we what are called hope events in partnership with prison fellowship and um, we're going to go in and we're going to worship and we're going to sing and we're going to teach and talk and hopefully laugh and cry and uh, mm. uh, and see transformation happen from the inside out. That's awesome. I was having coffee with a pastor friend yesterday and I don't even remember how we ended up on this subject, but I had been reading recently to do with rehabilitation efforts uh, of, mm. of incarcerated individuals and from a, from a neurological and sociological approach. And these researchers were saying, you know, studies have been done on the brains of, of people who have uh, been incarcerated, uh, people who've committed, you know, extreme crimes, you know, really, really made like murder and, and really violent issues. And, and what they're seeing pretty consistently is the areas of the brain responsible for empathy and for kind of this basic human connection are often damaged. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, which they can then generally kind of trace back to those parts of the brain require like intimate human relationships at a young, young age, right? Like that right. six months to a year old, that eye contact with your mother, your father, building those attachment centers in your brain. So then we, we these people are essentially are, are broken, not entirely functional at an emotional level. They commit crimes because they don't possess the same fullness of faculty that keeps us righteous, so to speak. And then, sure. then, they're, in, then they're incarcerated, but then, we, but then we lock them up in solitary confinement. And then we keep Correct. them from human interaction. And what these researchers were saying is like, this is the tragedy, that the human brain can continue to grow. The human brain can be healed, but it's healed through community. It's healed through That's humanity. Right. It's not you know, it's not healed through solitary confinement, through the further dehumanizing of, of these people. No, absolutely. That's, that's so good. I, I love that. And, and, and then I find that at least it was expo- what it, this is exposing in me is that as believers, as those who 
uh, who love to wear the badge of Jesus Christ, we are so good at self-righteousness. What this has revealed in us is, is, is the reality of how we look upon those who, uh, who are incarcerated to go, shame on you, you poor wretched fools. Uh, you know, you, you're just getting what you deserve when the truth is they're getting what we all deserve. Um, and often when we approach them or when we go in to, we're going in with, through that lens of, you know, we have something to offer rather than we're all on this, on the same journey, uh, and in the same, in the need, in need of the same savior. But to your point, I, I was sharing this actually recently with, with some friends about, you know, why it is that we, uh, culturally even, we think that, um, you know, babies and yay toddlers uh, are in need of much encouragement and much affection, but somehow there is a, an unspoken age where that becomes unnecessary and invalid when the truth is there's, there isn't an age when that becomes unnecessary and invalid. We, it is, it is necessary not only for development, but it is also, uh, those things, uh, time, uh, encouragement, affirmation, and physical touch are, are absolutely necessary just for the continuation of proper development, both socially, sociologically, physical, physiologically, and emotionally, uh, to those who are toddlers all the way to those who are 50 years old and in prison. Take a quick break to thank my patrons. Thank you, all of you who are supporting me on Patreon every month. You make this work possible. I'm so blessed to have all of you, and I I love the community that we get to share online. I'm excited for this next book study, Gary Thomas's book, When to Walk Away, Finding Freedom from Toxic People. And a big shout out to Cheryl, my latest patron. Thank you so much for joining me. If you would like to support the work that I do every month on Patreon, uh, I would really, really appreciate it. You can find me at patreon.com slash Jonathan Puddle. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Jonathan Puddle. And you'll find links in the show notes and on all my social media as well. All of you make it possible for me to continue podcasting, uh, writing, feeding my family, and pastoring in my local community. Thank you. Yeah. And so we want to be those. We want to literally be those hands and be those feet to to those in, in prisons, as well as those in the body of Christ as well. Yeah, come on. Now, okay, tell me, so what is it like then as a black man, as a black couple going into prisons? You know, how does that then play into it? You know, do you see the the bias of the certain kinds of people that are incarcerated? Absolutely. I mean, I think it's pretty, maybe it's pretty common knowledge, at least in America, uh, that, um, that literally 60% of, uh, excuse me, 70% of inmates in America are, are African-American men. Um, and so, uh, so there, there's a, there's a real issue there, but I think personally, that, that speaks to a, a much broader issue, which is the issue of uh, fatherlessness uh, that is prevalent not only in the black culture, but basically just in our modern day culture. I think it speaks a lot to the fatherless uh, issue. And we feel like, you know, we're not old by any stretch of the imagination, at least not yet. But um, even though you're a uh, grandfather, even though I'm a grandfather, I'm a young grandfather. <laughs> <laughs> I, but but even though we're not technically old, we're in our early 40s, but we feel like the Lord has kind of raised us up. I mean, I've been in ministry for 26 years, and so I feel something of like a father, like the father's heart. I feel the Lord's heart for these men who are incarcerated of all uh, from all cultures. And then I think my wife uh, brings a unique perspective as well 
though she is a black woman in America, she is not a black American woman. She is coming from having lived in three other countries uh, and brings a unique perspective that 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 goes beyond, quote unquote, the black experience in America. And so it's often easier um, for uh, for black men in prison to hear a unique or different perspective from someone who hasn't experienced the culture that they were raised in. And so she has a really wide open door and, a, and a, just a huge receptivity um, when she goes into prison. So when I go, uh, there's a tremendous amount of resistance because I look like them. Mm. <laughs> and so they, and because I look like them, that triggers them. And so, you know, reminds them of their brothers and it reminds them of their uncles and their fathers. And so they often are very guarded uh, until they go in and can see my heart and see that I'm not there to uh, to fix them. I'm I'm simply there to be a friend, and uh, and we want to bring the church into this same reality. So I, I don't want to sound like we are, uh, you know, we're doing something that, um, you know, that everybody should be doing or something that hasn't been done before. We want to bring out this this awareness to the body of Christ and the need for uh, the need for ministry. Uh, in prisons, yeah. Can you tell me a little bit more of, of Naomi's story? Because I I don't I don't really know your wife at all. Naomi is a she's amazing. She she is a third culture kid. She is born Dutch from Surinamese parents, meaning her parents are from Suriname, which is a country in South America. For those who are listening and going, where's that? Uh, small country in Suriname that. Uh, was previously a Dutch country, Dutch colony, and uh, and so her parents are from there. But her father was uh, an ambassador who represented Suriname to other countries, and so she was born actually in Holland. Uh, and then they moved from that from there to to Curacao, wow. and then from Curacao they lived they moved to Caracas, Venezuela, and then at 15 years old she alone by herself moved to America to finish school, joined a, uh, a boarding school in Florida. Um, and so my wife is, is brilliant. She is very, very, very educated. She graduated high school um, and undergrad and graduate degree uh, here in America. She speaks five languages. But beyond all of that, she loves the word of God. She loves Jesus and loves his word and loves to dig into the Bible. She's literally... One of the most, um, and I, I'm probably a bit biased on her husband, but she's <laughs> probably one of the most dynamic Bible teachers I have ever heard. She shares a perspective that is just insanely new, unique. And uh, but she, while she was in college uh, here in America, she um, she did what all college students do, <laughs> which is she partied a lot, uh, and her partying. Uh, led her to become a single mom. After after having uh, her daughter, she got saved. And uh, as she says so often, she was barely saved, barely sober when she ran into the House of Prayer, International House of Prayer in Kansas City, because her brother was on staff as a leader there. And so she came to Kansas City to visit her brother with her newborn uh, daughter. And uh, 20 years later, she's still here. And now that daughter is uh, is 21 years old, married, and has a, a son of her own. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so what a wild ride! But 
Um, oh, that's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. So, so yeah. So to your point that, you know, she, she has this different cultural experience of being black in America. I was being black in America, but not black from America. Yeah. I, a good friend of ours, uh, is from Zim, born and raised in Zimbabwe and then came to Canada and then she moved to New York and she was, a. I think she's just left, but she's, uh, an obstetrician gynecological surgeon that is at a lot. Cornell uh, in New York. So she's, wow. you know, she's a hyper-specialized uh, surgical expert in a white male dominant field living in New York City as presenting as a black woman who doesn't share that cultural experience whatsoever. Uh, and so just spending time with her and, you know, we went to go and see a play together that was all to do with, with racial integration in, in America. And it was, it was a fascinating experience to hear her stories, to hear her take on matters, to sit there in a play discussing race while I've literally taken a black woman on a date to, to the play. Of course, the irony is she took me because I'm poor and she's a surgeon and I'm like, (laughs) yeah, there's so many things going on here. Uh, Yeah. Well, that's so that's cool that, that Naomi gets to come in with, with all of that. I read – I read. I don't know if you know any about this. Uh, hopefully, you can tell me all about it. But I had read some history recently on the essentially the transition of labor from slavery into prison labor where mm. it was like as these southern plantations were, were losing their slaves – it was kind of discovered in parallel that prisons could essentially rent out their inmates to local farms as cheap wow. labor. And so you kind of have this discovery of, ah, well, if we incarcerate these men, then we can keep cheap labor. Right. So we can come up with a legal framework for ostensibly slavery. Um and and that's sort of sitting at the at the root of of one of the reasons why seventy percent of of those incarcerated in in the United States are black males. But it was all very new to me, and I didn't have a full understanding on it. Um, yeah, I I I, ha- I am following, and I've heard a little bit about that. I can't speak uh, to it in an educated way, except to say my wife probably can. But uh, except to say uh, something that has really struck uh, our hearts, and something that is troubled us quite frankly is the fact that um in prisons they they do work you know they work from in, from inside but they literally they literally get paid like 10 cents a day and uh and then on top of that they are required to save that 10 cents they have to buy their own toiletries you know simple things that we take for granted like toothbrushes and toothpastes they have to work for a month to be able to afford uh, and it's just, it's 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 absolute unrighteousness. It's it's preposterous, you know, as if it isn't enough that they are completely locked up and treated like animals. Uh, that then they are required to to labor forty hours a week for pay that literally no one can live on. So it's I don't know I you know I, I can't again speak with any amount of education. To, to to the point that you made, except to say that it's just it's inhumane and, and makes us very sad. Yeah, no, I mean that's that's outrageous. You'd be like, oh, ten cents a day. Well, that that made that that was low, in, you know, in in nineteen forty five. Right, right. 
exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Are so, you um how how are you working with churches and what does it look like to equip churches? What what is your heart for for other people to to understand and come on board? Absolutely. Well, clearly we're not we're not calling the church to to go into prisons with us because that's just not not even possible. Uh, but what we are we're asking people uh, is again we want to bring awareness to the body of Christ and we've had a number of people who have said, "Hey, uh, do you how can I get involved? How what can I can I do this with you?" Uh, and as much as I would love to say, "Absolutely, do it with us. Come with us." That's not feasible just because of all the red tape and simply getting in is a bit of a, a bit of a, a hassle um, going through all the, the court systems to get in. But one of the one of the ways that you can partner this, there's literally three ways that, that we're asking people to to get involved. One is, is prayer. It's will you commit to praying? We actually are developing a resource that will soon be available on our website. But we're going to actually call as we're teaching uh, inmates how to pray. We're actually developing a a 12 hour a day kind of a chart system where we're going to call inmates to prayer 12 hours a day and we're asking the church to simultaneously pray at the same time for them so for example from 9 a.m. till 9:20 a.m. we're uh, going to ask an inmate to pray for a specific church or or ministry or whatever and at the same time we want to ask uh, a church or ministry or individuals to pray simultaneously so that prayer is happening, um, both the inmates praying and the church is praying for the inmate. So that's one. Two is financial. Uh, obviously, there's financial support, and um, we it takes a lot of money to do what we're doing. We are uh, we have a robust uh, goal of about two hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year, which pays for uh, inmates to receive to receive materials. We have. My wife has written several books as well as some Bible study uh, training materials that we want to print out and have available to thousands of inmates all over the world, of course, at no cost to them. But in order to do that, it requires printing and publishing and all those types of things. Um, uh, and so that, and that's very costly. And then also what I talked about, the, the going in and capturing the sound uh, is, requires a lot. It's, it's recording. It's recording equipment. It's production. Uh, and then it's in this mass production. Uh, and then additionally, there's a tremendous, you can't even imagine uh, working with prison systems and court systems, the amount of administration that it takes just to keep this thing afloat. And so, uh, so to be able to have administrative staff who help us. Um, so we have a big goal. We, uh, we also, like I mentioned, want to go in and do worship nights. We're talking full blown worship nights with, you know, uh, full bands and, you know, stage and lights and the whole nine yards. We want to do that in a robust way, but that's not, it's not inexpensive. So, so that's the uh, financial partnership is, is uh, really important. So prayer partnership, financial partnership. And then thirdly, we're asking for churches, and this is also on our website, to become Freedom Coalition Partners. Um, it's at the bottom of our website. And Freedom Coalition Partners are simply this. It's simply a church who says, you know what, we will commit to partner with you either in prayer or financially, or we will make available to you uh, our um, our building, our our resources, our our grounds to come and host uh, an event here to to bring awareness to the body of Christ. Um, so we have a number of Freedom Coalition partnered uh, churches uh, already throughout the throughout the country, and we're we're asking for more who would say yes, we would love to host you uh, to come and and get, and share more and enlighten us. Mm-hmm. 
Wonderful. Where can people go to, uh, to learn more? You know, it's really easy to find us online. We, uh, we have a Facebook page that's facebook.com slash song of hope ministries. But if you want to go directly to our website, I told you, we believe that freedom is for everyone. And so that's the easiest way to find us. Freedom for everyone.org freedom for everyone.org. One of the other mission, one of the other values or purposes of Song of Hope is uh, obviously having been in worship ministry for 26 years, <laughs> uh, I've made lots of mistakes um, uh, in worship ministry. And so I have actually developed an online mentorship for worship leaders, singers, musicians, songwriters uh, that we are really excited about. Um, two, three different options. We have, a, we have an on-demand course that we have, and we have a monthly mentorship uh, subscription that's available for those who want to who want to grow in their skill and in their craft as singers, as songwriters, as musicians, um, and so we're really really excited about that. That's going to be launching very soon, mm. and so there's going to be a lot more information that's uh, about that. They can find out more information. Um, you can find out more information about that actually by going to my Instagram page, J Thomas Music. There's a link in my bio that takes you straight to the website that gives you more information about uh, what options, mentorship options that we have available where I'm actually teaching and training. I'm actually teaching and training uh, worship leaders. Um, so they're actually getting one-on-one time with me. And so that's really fun. Excellent. So good. Uh, and and what's your relationship with IHOP look like? You guys still doing worship? They just had a celebration anniversary thing. Just had a 20 year, just celebrated 20 years of night and day, nonstop prayer and worship. That's just Wild. amazing. Uh, it's amazing. And so it was a beautiful celebration. Still here. We're still, we still live in Kansas City. Obviously, um, our family is still involved and in, in I have, we're not on staff, but we are here and, um, you know, doing as, as much or as little as we can <laughs> uh, because we're trying to give our strength and energy to Song of Hope. But I'm still teaching adjunctly uh, at the university. Um, I still occasionally do a set here and there in the prayer room, um, and um, and so yeah, we're we're loosely uh, involved and connected as much as we can be. So cool! I definitely feel like somebody at some point should should do some kind of study on the people who leave large Christian organizations and go on to their destiny elsewhere. <laughs> Having, yeah. as, as someone who has done that and knowing so many people, it's like, yeah, I put 10 years in here, 15 years in here, 20 years in here. And I thought that was going to be my everything. And then suddenly. Yeah, no, absolutely. I absolutely thought that I would, uh, I thought I would die at IHOP. <laughs> I, I thought that was my ultimate destiny. And, and, and in a way it, it was my ultimate destiny destiny. It was because it was the place where I, where the Lord gave me my value system and what I believe. And, uh, you know, I couldn't do song of hope, frankly, if it weren't for, if it weren't for, uh, for IHOP. Yeah. So for that, I am ultimately grateful. Beautiful. My friend, uh, can you pray for us as we go? I would be more than happy to pray for you guys. Um, so father, thank you so much for, for Jonathan and for, and for the people who are listening to this podcast I just ask you today, Lord, would you mark hearts, uh, those who have heard what has been said today and have been branded, uh, you felt like their, mar- their hearts have been marked and branded, uh, even captured uh, by this reality of those who are incarcerated and bringing freedom not only to them, but to those around us in the body of Christ. I ask you, Lord, today that you would give clarity of vision, that you give clarity of mission. Father, would you uh, would you bring not only awareness, but would you bring partners today 
not only to Song of Hope, but to your heart, who want to see freedom in their lives and the lives of others around them. Would you bless uh, every listener to this podcast today? Would you give them grace and peace in Jesus' name? Amen. And that was Jay Thomas. Folks, check the show notes for links to his website and social media and elsewhere. You can find him, obviously, uh, yourself directly on Instagram, Twitter, and elsewhere, Jay Thomas Music. Next week, we have a very popular uh, spoken word performer and blogger and YouTuber. I'm not going to give away his name. Some of you will have already put the dots together. And then over the next few weeks after that, we're going to have a bunch more guests talking about issues of injustice. I've got I've had some really powerful interviews with people, and I'm very, very excited to share with you what people are doing, ministering the love of God to people, and encountering Jesus amongst the poorest, the most destitute, the marginalized peoples, whether they're at the border or whether they're in our cities and are being ignored or in our prisons, as you heard here with Jay. So thanks so much for listening. I'm Jonathan Puddle, and you're listening to the podcast. We'll see you next week.